Good evening, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with my guest, Catherine Birbelsing. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly now here, actually. The founder and headmistress of McKellar Community School, which opened in London in 2014. Michelle is known for its commitment to traditional learning, discipline, and an aversion to quite a lot of the modern orthodoxy regarding how children should be taught. Its cohorts of students at their first GCSE last year, the British equivalent of the Leaving Cert, where they performed, I think it's fair to say, exceptionally. They had a 91% pass rate in maths with 90% in English compared to below 60% in the average British school. And 18% of Michelle's students received the highest grade possible against less than 5% nationally. How did you feel when you saw those results? Yeah, it was really exciting. I mean, it took us a long time to make the school happen. Uh, I had the idea in 2011, beginning of 2011, and we opened in September 2014. And of course, it took us then five years till 2019 to get our results. So it's been a long time in the making. And we've had a lot of trouble, um, you know, uh, well, opening. We had a lot of detractors who tried to stop us. Uh, We moved three times in London trying to find, oh, I apologize. Those are the pips at school (laughs) and the changeover of lessons. Um, And uh, we, yeah, three different places to try and open up. Uh, Buildings were sold out uh, from underneath us. Uh, We had people protesting outside, um, people giving flyers to our kids. Once once we finally opened, they gave us flyers, gave them flyers saying that their lives were in danger in the building, uh, physical danger. Um, I mean, honestly, every possible trick in the book was played to try and undermine us. I'd have parents evenings before we opened to try and tell parents about what we did. And our detractors would infiltrate the parents' meetings and stand among, you know, sit amongst the parents pretending to be parents. And then when I would speak, they would jump up and shout over me in order to to prevent the meeting from happening. Um, So we had our troubles. And um, so obviously, really nice now to have the results that we've got and to continue to serve the community as we do. I'm so sorry. These pips. Anyway, (laughs) go on. So I imagine to people in Ireland, if they've heard of your school at all, they would only have heard of it in the sort of uh, newspaper, the toughest school in England, the harshest headmistress in England, I believe, is something that's been attached to you. So I mean, just to explain to people who aren't familiar with it, what is Michella Community School? Well, at Michaela, we... Uh... We have very high standards of discipline. So um, we expect the children to behave themselves. And uh, 50, 60 years ago, I think lots of schools are like that. Nowadays, it's less common. Uh, children, you know, in, in, in some schools, you know, they're kind of running around, uh, especially in the inner city, you find uh, kids have their heads bashed into walls and fights happen in the corridors and children wander in and out of classrooms. And there's uh, some disorder in places. Uh, that isn't the case with us. We have silent corridors, uh, meaning that the children walk very quickly in single file in silence. They say morning, good afternoon to their teachers as they go past, and that's it. And then they go to their lessons. Now, some people think, oh, that's so extreme. Why do you have to make them silent? Well, if you have a challenging intake, the alternative is that they are breaking into fights in the middle of the corridor. I mean, that's what, that's what happens. So uh, people see this as a bit extreme. 
Um, I would say that we have a safe environment for our children. Whenever visitors come, and we have over 600 people coming to visit every year, and your listeners are all very welcome to come. We have people from around the world coming. Um, they go into the lessons, and they see loads of children with their hands up, really engaged with their learning. And people always say, how come they're so curious? How come they're so interested? And I would say it's mainly about the fact that they feel safe to be able to do so. I think too often in schools, children are terrified of looking like a nerd or looking like they're too keen or the teacher's pet. That isn't the case here. Everybody wants to show how brilliant they are and everybody's working hard and trying to make a difference to the, the kind of life that they could have. So um, in many ways, it's really inspiring. You know, you see these children from really poor backgrounds, uh, with ch from challenging circumstances, you know, lots of them, their fathers aren't in the house. Some of them hardly ever see their fathers. I mean, for five years, children go through here and I never, I never meet the dad. Um, others who have alcoholic issues in their homes or drug issues or um, criminal fathers, um, some who have been in jail, all this sort of thing. And I mean, also the environment and the inner city where we are, uh, you know, children will, um, I say children, you know, 16 year old boys will be on bikes outside wearing masks. And this is before the day of, you know, we all wear masks now in those days, you know, people don't, didn't do that. And they're wearing masks to cover their faces because they don't want to be identified and they're carrying knives and they're waiting for our boys to come out. So I'm saying all of this so that your listeners have an understanding of the context. You know, people think, well, why do you have to have silent classrooms? Because, well, it is very possible that a child is carrying a knife. You know, like the, that is, that's the environment we're in. Now, I say it's very possible. At our school, uh, you know, that probably wouldn't happen because we are so strict. So killed, children wouldn't turn up with a knife. But uh, it's certainly not unheard of in the inner city. That, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a boy, a local boy, who was killed by a South London gang because of something that he put up on social media, insulting them. There are fights that take place outside. The police are, you know, there's a policeman that's attached to our school and to the other local schools who helps out at the end of the day. All of the teachers go outside to make sure that the kids get on the buses to get home safe. So, you know, children's safety is a real issue here. And I don't really understand why people fight us on this. You know, they call me all sorts of names because I want children to be quiet and safe. Well, I, you know, I think that's a, an obvious form of love, but you know, not everybody agrees with me. <laughs> so you're, you're based in the inner city and you draw mostly from local children. It's not a private yeah. school. There are no fees, are there? No, 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 no. I mean, as I say, the kids who are they're, they're waiting with knives. I mean, mm. this is standard in a city life. Um, and all the local schools have similar kids to ours, you know. Um, we're just a normal local school. Uh, and we're not in charge of our admissions. The council do that. Um, and we just have really high standards for behavior. We also, the other thing we're known for are our teaching methods. So they're more old fashioned. The teacher stands at the front of the class. The children will have their desks in rows. The children look to the teacher to lead the learning. Um, now, many of your listeners might think, but isn't that just normal? Not in 2020. Uh, what's far more normal is um, desks being in groups. So the children are looking at each other, not at the teacher. And the, the teacher will set them off on a task that children get on with. And the children will be leading their own learning while the teacher moves amongst the desks keeping them on task, you know, and their task might be to have a piece of sugar paper and to write things in different colors with markers and that sort of thing. So 
it's very different to us where we're doing lots of exercises and we're, um, we believe in lots of practice and, and the teacher is teaching from the front of the class. Um, so, and, and that 50 years ago would have been obvious uh, as the way to learn. Nowadays, I'd say it's relatively radical, certainly here anyway in London. I don't know about Ireland, um, but I suspect, I think everywhere in the Western world, things have moved much more towards learning being child-centered instead of teacher-centered. And that's ultimately because uh, I think in the West, we feel very uncomfortable with the notion of authority. And we think that if you are in a position of authority, then you are somehow Hitler. And actually being an authority is great for children. You know, your parent and your teacher should be uh, in authority over the child. And that doesn't mean you want to abuse the authority. You want to use that authority to show how much you love them by taking control of that situation. So when the child says, oh, I'd rather go on my smartphone, the mom says, or the teacher says, no, 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 I'm in charge and I'm not letting you go on the phone. Instead, we're going to do some algebra. And actually, I'm going to give you a whole load of exercises here so we can just practice that over and over again so that eventually the algebra is just na is second nature to you. Um, that is what we are doing here. And um, we're really careful about time. We've got children who join us at 11 years old, but they might have a reading age of a six or a seven-year-old. We've got to catch them up. And so we are efficient about that time moving between lessons. So we get into the lesson, use every minute possible to try and get these kids to catch up with their peers who might be at a local private school, for instance. And since, I know in 2017, you had your first Ofsted report where you were graded as being outstanding in every metric that they could measure. And then you go on to have your GCSE results and they are exceptional. Uh, I was looking into the actual, the full breakdown of it, and I didn't see a single category of testing where you were below the national average. So from that, have, have you started to get more of a recognition and more of a perhaps comments from people who might've been hostile that, okay, maybe there is Maybe this does actually help children. Well, um, I think the ones who were hostile uh, or very hostile have just, most of them have gone away. So they mm. haven't said, gosh, I was wrong. I I've changed my mind. They've just stopped talking about us so much mm. anyway. Um, I think the ones who were a bit sitting on the fence and weren't quite sure are now convinced. And I do meet people all of the time who say to me, I didn't like you before, I didn't really understand, but I've been following you on Twitter and I've been uh, following the school and we have two books that we've come out with at the school, one called Battle Hymn of the Tiger Teachers, which came out a couple of years ago, and then this one that's just come out a few weeks ago called The Power of Culture. And um, we, in fact, I'll, I'll show you the book here, here it is. <laughs> and um, it, uh, both books just explain what we do. And um, it's written by all the teachers, not written by me. I mean, I've written a, couple, a chapter, but I mean, everyone's written a chapter. And it just tells people um, what Michaela's about. A lot of teachers like it, but also, you know, especially this last book, I think it's really useful for anybody, really parents, anyone who's interested in politics or education to understand what's been happening in education over the last uh, 30, 40 years. But in particular, over the last 10 years and the educational revolution that I think that is taking place at the moment. Um, and so, yeah, we've done that and people have changed their minds, lots of people. Um, and I, I hear from them all the time, often just quietly. You know, they don't want to tell me who they are. They just want to acknowledge, 
or I get lots of DMs on Twitter, love what you're doing, please don't tell anybody who I am, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Because apparently in 2020, having some old fashioned values, traditional teaching and high standards of behavior uh, makes you controversial. So um, that's why people don't want to say it out loud, which is really sad, you know, that that's the case. But we're we're fighting the good fight and we get over 600 visitors every year from across the country and across the world, you know, America, Australia, Germany, France, all over the place. And um, people write to me, classroom teachers say, look, my classroom's transformed thanks to the techniques that we've learned from you. Um, head teachers have written to me and said, you know, whole school, we've implemented X and it's really worked. So I know that we're spreading the word and things are getting better for them. You know, the detractors, you just got to ignore them. You just got to keep going because ultimately we're doing this for the children. We're doing it both for our children, for all of the children everywhere. And it, it, it makes me really happy that we're able to contribute to, to, you know, making education better than what it currently is. One thing I, I've noticed, there seems to have been an uptick since your GCSE results came out of people focusing instead on uh, a line that you're not teaching children how to critically think that you're only focusing on the exam results. But from what I've seen of things in your school, things like the shared meals, things like that, there does seem to be a large focus in the school on the actual child as a person, as opposed yeah. to exams. So I just wondered if you had a comment on the idea that you're, you're not teaching children how to think, you're just teaching them how to yeah. repeat things. Yeah, people often say that because, well, they don't really understand. Um, and they've never visited the school. If you came to visit the school and spoke to the children, you would find the most curious and intellectually interesting children you'd ever seen. I'm constantly amazed by them. Um, and the key thing there is children cannot be independently minded uh, about something unless they have something to think about. <laughs> so you can't be creative unless you're being creative with something. And... Um, the reason why our children are so opinionated and are so good at holding opinions is because they know lots of stuff. And if you haven't taught them much, well, they can't. I have loads of opinions about education. In fact, I'm a real radical and I've thrown out the norm and I'm doing things differently. Why? Because I really know education. If you told me to tell you about astronomy, I couldn't tell you the first thing. And that's because I don't have an opinion about astronomy because I don't know very much about it. The only way that I can think independently about astronomy is to first understand what astronomy is. Um, it's the same thing with any topic. So in order for them to be, uh, you know, have an, op an interesting opinion, I don't know, about the Second World War and what happened and so on, well, you've got to teach them about the Second World War. And once they've got that information, they then can manipulate it and analyze it and pull it apart and put it back together and come up with their own opinions. And so you will find that our children are far more critical in their thinking, far more independently minded than children elsewhere, precisely because they have been taught lots of stuff. Um, and people just get that wrong. They just, they, they've misunderstood what it is to think critically. Um, so yeah, I mean, and then what you're talking about isn't so much critical thinking. You were talking about the whole child. Hmm. So that's about the culture of the school. And in fact, our book, The Power of Culture, is all about that, which is that the culture in your school will help determine what kind of child the child, you know, what kind of adult the child becomes. And that means in our family lunch, we call it family lunch, the children serve each other food, uh, they eat together like a family, they clear the plates, they, they all eat from the same pot of uh, original food, and we give them a topic of conversation so that they can discuss while at the same time cutting their food. Now, 
that might seem, well, what's the big deal? That's a real skill. And if when you go home in the evening, you have Kentucky Fried Chicken, uh, or you have five pounds to go and get your Kentucky Fried Chicken, you're not sitting down with your family every night, learning how to have conversation, how to hold a knife and fork. When our children arrive at 11 years old, a number of them have no idea how to use a knife and fork. And we have to sit with them and show them how to hold the knife and fork and how to cut their food. And then we have to teach them how to have a conversation at the same time. These are all skills they simply don't have. Shaking hands, looking at somebody in the eye, sitting up straight in your chair. These are all things that they have to learn when they come to us. And so that this puts them in great stead later for when they go for interviews, when they're going, you know, all of, these are things that, you know, kids that come from a, a richer background, uh, they get all the time, you know, like they, they have that daily reinforced at home. Our children, some of them do, but many of them don't. And so the school manages to make up for that as well. We believe very much in the whole child and in making sure that our children have the best chance in life to change their stars. That's my thing. I want them to be able to do whatever they want to do. And too often children like ours who grow up in the inner city are given no chance. They, they just end up being rolled out, failing out of school or joining a gang or just n never really be fulfilling their potential. And we've got kids now who are in our year 12, going into year 13, who I hope very much are going to get to Oxford and Cambridge. They're going to get to a Russell Group University. That's always been our aim. And we knew them when we opened in year seven, and we've now brought them through. And at the end of next year, I hope that we're going to be able to wave goodbye to them as they go off to, you know, one of the top universities. So um, that, that's our role in life. And, and I think that's what we're all driven here to do. And that isn't just about their academic results. Academic results are one part of it. But who they are as people, we, our motto is work hard, be kind. Work hard so you can get those great academic results, but be kind because that's the kind of person who you are. So at lunch, every day at lunch, uh, we have about five minutes at the end of it where children give appreciations. And that means they stand up and they, uh, they say thanks. Thank, I want to thank my mom for waking me up this morning. And then they say on the count of two, one, two. And everybody claps together. And then they sit down, somebody else stands up. Oh, I want to thank uh, Miss Ashford for creating this great resource on Shakespeare that we use today on the count of two, one, two. And then we do the clap. And um, we, we do that because we also teach our children gratitude. Uh, if you're grateful, uh, you're a happier person. And it doesn't matter how little you have in life. And many of our children have very little, but uh, you'll always have some, you'll have more than somebody else. And so you've got to be grateful for what you've got in life because you'll be happy. And then you'll be able to make something of your life. If on the other hand, you see yourself as a victim and you're always angry about the fact that so-and-so has more than you, then you're very unlikely to make something of your life. And when teachers from around the world come, what they always say is, God, your children are so ambitious. They're so resilient. How do you teach them that? Well, all of those um, uh, attributes and those beliefs, uh, they don't come, we don't teach them resilience. We teach them gratitude and kindness, and we have a particular kind of ethos, and then all of that other positive stuff just develops naturally. Just on what you were, you were saying there about students who come into your school who maybe haven't had the best social upbringing, and had they gone to other schools, may have never learned to use something like a knife and fork. How much of, that, how much of the improvement you'd see when they attend your school is due to your discipline and your traditional teaching methods? And how much of that do you think is just due to the fact that you don't seem to have low expectations of those students? I think it's all, I mean, it's all of it, isn't it? Um, it's, 
you know, people often say, well, it's, you know, you just give them detentions. No, we also have merits and we have reward assemblies and we have uh, fun events happening all the time and we laugh with them. Uh, we also have assemblies in the morning. I give assembly every single day. Sometimes I give assembly twice a day. So they hear from the head of the school every, every well, all of the kids hear from me at least once a week. And that means me delivering lots of different assemblies. And, um, you know, there's, there's leadership that pulls us through and there's a goal and a vision for the school where we're all moving towards that. Um, and that requires all of those factors that you've just mentioned and others that then create the ethos of the school. And I would refer to the book again, the power of culture, the culture of the school is created but with, by all those different strands. And that then helps uh, socialize and form our children into positive human beings. We're gonna give something back to the world. So we teach them personal responsibility. You are responsible for yourself. We teach them uh, a sense of duty to their uh, classmates. So you don't disrupt because you have a duty to your classmates not to disrupt uh, so that everyone can learn. For instance, you also have a duty to your parents to make sure that you succeed in life because your parents have invested in you or you also now need to deliver. You know, there's a constant narration around what you owe to other people and to society. It's not just about me, 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 you know. Um, I think that's really important with children because children otherwise do just think me, me, me. Uh, so... I mean, I'd say read the book, really, to get a real sense of the, the overarching uh, culture in the school and also the techniques that we use in order to, to keep that culture, you know, alive and, and, and really central to what we do. We will, we will put an Amazon link to the book at the bottom <laughs> of the podcast uh, if the listeners well, have mean, been I'm tempted. Not, you know, people can read it if they want, but I mean, it really would. Be, I'm only able to give you a flavor of what... what, of what, what uh, the, the, the book and also it's because the teachers are, are, are telling you you will really get an understanding uh, of what the what we do here at Michaela once you read the book so when you started you face all of this pressure people saying that this is absolutely the wrong way to teach children it's too harsh it's cruel uh, and it's going to be painful for the children it's not going to help them when after you set up the school what was the point when you went, you know, actually this is working, this can work, and this is actually the way this should be done. And you knew well, I that. Knew that. I mean, I always knew that because in my own classroom, I used to do this sort of thing. <laughs> so, and I, I, not just me, Michaela, the woman after whom we named the school, she died sadly of cancer in 2011. And um, she was very much like this. She was an old fashioned teacher who believed in respect and obedience. And so it made sense to name the school after her. Uh, she'd been doing it all her life all old school teachers, and I'm sure that many of your listeners will be old school teachers and they'll be nodding away as I'm talking, you know, um, and because they do the same thing in their classroom. And they know that obviously if you just leave the kids to go in groups and do what they want, that they end up talking about the girl they fancy or the boy that they met last night or whatever, you know, they're not actually doing the work. Whereas if the teacher is leading the learning, they're, they're, they, they all know, I always say the teacher's driving the bus and the children are on the bus. And it's the teacher's job to make sure the child stays on the bus. And when they're looking out the window, oh, little Johnny's just jumped off the bus. Got to get him back on. And the teacher needs to get him back on. 
and the teacher will lose use techniques to do that, like calling his name or asking him a question or just going, <clears throat> or whatever it is. And Johnny jumps back on and then you keep on going and you're driving to Rome. So you drive to Rome, you know, the fact is, is that if you let the children drive, well, some of them are going to end up in Afghanistan. Some of them are going to end up staying, you know, full, you know, in London. Like the fact is, you, you have got to drive the bus. Now, what I'm saying should be obvious, but it really is not obvious in 2020. Um, so people who are, who are against this way of teaching, they have to make up stuff about us and say we're mean and cruel and... and um, I mean, it's just ridiculous. I come into work every morning. I have a meeting with my senior team every morning at 7 a.m. Well, I do that because I hate children. I mean, obviously, I love them. It's crazy. Um, and I've dedicated my entire life to reforming the education system and changing things. Well, why would we write this book if we hate children? You know, imagine the kind of time of our own extra time outside of school it takes to write all these chapters. You know, it's just an absurdity what they suggest. And I have to say that that is no longer people. Not so many people talk about that anymore. You know, it, at the beginning, a lot of people accused us of that. I have to say nowadays, they are few and far between. We have more or less won the argument. And we've won the argument partly because of our Ofsted outstanding and then our great results. And so it's hard for people to look at this school in the inner city with loads of poor kids who are doing really well and then accuse us. Because then what, what does that say about you? You know, who are you to be stopping us? I mean, I, when we were setting up and everybody was trying to stop us, I used to say, it's as if we're making nuclear arms. I mean, all we're trying to do is set up a school to serve poor kids. I mean, what is the problem? Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think that's what I mean about the people who really don't like us. They've just gone quiet and, uh, you know, they're maybe slightly embarrassed and they just stay away. But mind you, you said that, um, you know, that my, my, my podcast uh, on um, Spiked online, that a number of people were um, criticizing me for things I said on there. So, you know, there are obviously still people out there who dislike me very much, um, but it's just one of those things. I, I take it on the chin, nothing you can do. You know, when you do things that are radical and different, uh, people are going to hate you for it, but you just got to look past that. I keep children in mind. I always, people always say, how do you do what you do, Catherine? I always remember the children. I remember the thousands of children that I have known in my lifetime who have been let down by the school system and it breaks my heart. And I have to spend my life doing something to try and fix it for future generations as they come through. So we've spoken about the children, how the children are taken in and the impact of children. But on the teacher side of things, when you started, how did you select teachers who would work there? How did you convince them that this was the way that this should be done, particularly yeah, when they yeah. were coming under fire? And how did you keep that cohesive and you yeah. get to where you well, are now? When we were opening, luckily, there was uh, a bit of a zeitgeist there in that, you know, uh, there were a few people who are beginning to question uh, the normal way of doing things. And so I grabbed a number of younger teachers uh, who were starting to think, oh, maybe, and they decided to take a risk with me, really, and um, we built up the school. So, uh, and a lot of my teachers here are very young. Uh, we don't get many older applicants, actually, uh, for jobs. It tends to be people in their 20s, and I think that's because they're willing to take a risk. It's quite hard in your 40s to think, oh, well, I know what I'll do. I'll change my whole way of that I've been doing things for many years and I'm going to retrain at Michaela, you know. So it tends to be a very young school. 
but obviously those people are growing up. It's a big joke here. You know, everyone's getting married and having kids. You know, every, every other day, every other week, somebody says, oh, so-and-so's got engaged. I think, oh yeah, right. There's another one, you know, <laughs> that's the age that they're at. Um, and, and that's great. You know, uh, we are building, you know, a future generation of teachers here and people will work here and then go off elsewhere. And again, it just, it, it spreads the methods out uh, throughout the country. Would you like to see other schools across England and in other countries recreate the, the methods you've had there and create Definitely. sort of a, a movement for wider adoption of it? Yeah. I mean, I'd love, you know, there to be thousands of Michaela schools and you know, there's more and more. So there's a school in the West Midlands, they call themselves the Michaela of the West Midlands. And then there's another school up North, you know, there are various schools all over the place that say, Oh, we're a bit like Michaela. We do this like Michaela. We do that like Michaela. So, you know, there are, there are people, I just got this, I got this crazy letter this morning, a three and a half pages long letter uh, from somebody in San Diego who had been following us and says she's so inspired. She's going to set up a school and she's going to copy a lot of our methods, you know? So like <laughs> there are people all over the world um, copying some of what we do, which is great because it means that, um, it means that we are affecting change, not just here. You know, we are changing the lives of children who, who we will never meet. And uh, you know, that makes me really excited. So, Looking towards the future, what is the future for your school? Is it, are you going to become larger? Are you going to try and expand yeah. in other ways? Or is it just a case yeah. of keeping the quality you have now and trying to keep it consistent? No. no, so we're opening up another school in a place called Stevenage, just outside of London, and that'll open in 2023. And then I would hope to open a third school and possibly a fourth school. Uh, we are building, you know, uh, an academy chain is what we call them here. Um, and you know, my staff know this. And so there are various members of staff who are really excited. They might go and work in some of these other schools and they want to be with Michaela over the long term. And we're building that, uh, that, that organization, you know, the, that academy chain so that our, our brand, as it were, you know, what we are is at this school right now, but we hope to recreate that in Stevenage and then recreate that somewhere else. And eventually we'd also like to open a primary school and do something similar there. I actually saw a primary school in Wales recently uh, that was so similar to our school. I couldn't believe it. It was like this Michaela primary, except the head and I had never met, you know, and, and you know why? Because these ideas work, you know, <laughs> they work. And we didn't, we didn't start as a Michaela school. We, we just sat down and thought, well, what works and what doesn't work? And we just, we, we, through trial and error, I mean, we didn't start with everything exactly as it is. We've made mistakes along the way. And in fact, you'll find in the book, this new book, where we say from the old book, oh, actually, there's a couple of things we've changed and we, we explain that and so on. So, um, but through trial and error, if you have an open mind and you are happy to reject the orthodoxy, you know, you, you need to be happy to say, you know what? maybe what we're doing right now isn't working. You know, if the children don't remember what they're being taught, well, maybe there's something wrong with the way in which we're teaching them. When you think about the number of staff rooms where people say, I don't know how many times I've taught it to them and they still can't remember it. Well, maybe we need to try something different. <laughs> or perhaps there's too much low-level disruption in the class and perhaps we need to tighten up on the behavior. Um, what are the corridors like? Are kids running around? Are kids running in late to the lesson and disrupting? You know, these are all things that can be changed as long as there's a will to change them. And I think too often in schools, people are just quite happy to accept. People often say, well, there's always going to be bullying in schools, so that's normal. Well, we don't have bullying here. We really don't. The bullying that we have happens on social media, outside of school. But inside of school, it does not happen. 
And that is because we have got such a tight rein on what is happening in the school. Um, and it, so it is possible. It is possible not to have bullying in your school. And um, yeah, and the kids who aren't on social media, well, they just, they're fine. They're not, they're not involved in any of the bullying that might go on because they're not on social media. It is possible to change things. You just need to have the belief and then the willpower. And then, of course, I am surrounded by a, an extraordinary team of teachers here. Um, you, you need to have the backing of your team. And it's much more difficult, of course, when a head teacher goes into an, an already established school and tries to change the culture there. Easier for me building that up from the start. So just as a, as a final question before we close, Catherine, looking at the average student who comes into your school, what is that student like after he exits your school? Like, how do you know that the school has succeeded? Not just on the exams, but who they yeah. are. Well, the parents, uh, from the naughtiest kid to the best kid, always say that their behavior changes at home. So suddenly they're offering to do the washing up or they're looking after their brothers or sisters, or they're just nicer. They say thanks to their mum. They stand up during appreciations and they're thanking their parents in, at school, you know? Stuff like that, they just would never have done before. Um, they're nicer people. And so parents tell us that all of the time. You know, one of the reasons why they send them here is they think, oh, I'm gonna get a nicer kid at home. So, <laughs> so there's that. Then there's just the work ethic. They're more likely to work. They're more likely, so for instance, during COVID, um, you know, I know from the stats that are being bandied around about schools in, in England, you know, we're looking at anywhere from 10 to 30% of kids who are completing their work, uh, that the work that the school is setting. Our kids, about 90% of them are doing it, you know? Like why, they don't have to. We have got, no, we've got nothing on them now. Can't get them detentions. <laughs> we can't do anything, right? And yet 90% of them are completing the work. Um, and that's because they want to impress us, you know? They, I mean, there have been a few instances where we know some of them have copied each other and things and, um, you know, they sent it on social media. But what I love about that is that they're so keen to impress us that they'll go to the trouble of copying it out, you know? <laughs> so, like, there's a relationship there. There's a change in, her, in terms of who they are. You know, I mean, I think of kids who have been sent to us who've been permanently excluded from other schools and then they make it here. Well, obviously, things are different for them here, you know? So... There's no question, the kids all get better here. How much better depends often on the family support at home, how much commitment the kid is gonna give himself, you know, but everyone, however, wherever they start along that spectrum, it manages to get better. Some get, get even better than others, depending on how much input they give themselves. Catherine Burbelsing, uh, headmistress of Michaela Community School. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much for having me.